What's up, Internet? It's Kyle. I'm Stu. And I'm Steph. And together, we are your control panel. We're going to be talking about alternate sort of forms and experiments with the pay-by-email genre. So, most of our episodes so far have been related to what we think of as a traditional, longer style of play-by-email mega-game. Played over lots of weeks with NPCs and actions and other things we talked about in previous weeks. But this episode is all about things that do things completely differently, completely different designs, and sort of experimentation within that space, which is really, really important. And we're joined today by John Kay, who has just, has run two of those games, two of those more experimental games, as well as one of the grandfathers, or early examples, if you will, of the kind of long form, which was the first season of Ur. So why don't we start with you telling us about your non-traditional games, uh, starting with you, John, and your design inspirations for each one. Yeah, sure. Okay, so the first game I ran will be Cataclysm, which was so it was a quite a short, very constrained game. We had two groups of people set several thousand years apart. One of them was living through the Cataclysm, and then the others were the archaeologists who were digging up the the site of their old civilization after it had been destroyed. Yeah, so yeah, I guess the main inspiration for that, mechanically anyway, there was a LARP called Winterhorn by Jason Morningstar that has this three-turn structure and your one group of people sort of picking from a menu of options of things that you can do. So yeah, part of part of the idea of the game was to make a shorter and much more constrained game so it didn't just take over people's lives. So we had these two basically council games where they were picking from a from a list of sort of preset options what they wanted to do that turn. And they were also talking to each other, I believe, at the same time as that, like in character, chatting, negotiating, getting to know each other. Yes. So the council each so obviously the councils are set you know, tens of thousands of years apart, however long it was. I can't remember exactly. So obviously they weren't talking to each other very much. But during the week, yes, they'd be sending emails like you'd expect in a normal play-by-email game and discussing, you know, the the matters of the day, you know, ooh, what on earth do we think this cataclysm is about? Why, why is everything going wrong? Where should we evacuate next? Where should, what should we research? That sort of thing. And then similar things for the archaeologists. So yeah, during the during the week it was fairly standard sort of email each other in character, but it was it was a lot because it was quite a constrained scenario, it was very focused on the job at hand rather than necessarily sort of free forming all over the place, especially since your actions were also constrained to the job at hand. People couldn't decide to, you know, go to a different dig site and do something completely different. Wonderful. I do have things I want to ask about that, but I think we'll keep moving with other things first. So now tell us, John, about the Ballad of Skit Longshot, if I'm remembering the name correctly. Yes, you are. Right, so the Ballad of Skit Longshot, that was... Yes, so I called it a game. Some people said it's not a game, it's a creative writing exercise. But when it comes to play-by-emails, I'm not sure what the difference is necessarily. So each of the players was playing an author, and that author was writing down tales that they'd heard or maybe inventing tales about this figure from the from the history of the city of Ur called Skit Longshot. It was basically Robin Hood, and they're all set. Each of these authors is set at a different sort of time period during Ur's, Ur's history, 
and they have different like political opinions on you know do they support the establishment or do they support you know maybe the Athenian fraternity or you know sort of some kind of rebel group or whoever it was so you got lots of authors having lots of different opinions on who this person was and what they did but then we do it like exquisite corpse i think that's got other names but essentially one person starts writing the story the next person continues it and then someone else finishes it off so yes in that way it was very much inspired by yeah, sort of writing exercises and that sort of thing. There's you get writing exercises where you say, "Oh, well, put yourself in the mind of this author or write in the style of this person." And you also get ones like, yeah, the exquisite corpse thing, where you're continuing something that someone else has started. So it's just combining those together, basically. And then we also have on our control panel today, Kyle has come back to join us to tell us about her Council of Seasons. So tell us a little bit more about your design inspirations for that, Kyle. So with Council of Seasons, as with most other things I design, it was very much motivated by my self-interest. In this case, paring down the usual PBEM to something that I felt was a little more control manageable, but doing it in an interesting way, not just like shaving things down for no reason. So the Council of Seasons is what I call half a deduction game and half an MUN game. It's centered around the titular Council of Seasons, which are composed of various fae who come together in order to discuss certain issues that will impact the fate of the universe. Like, these are issues that need to be discussed and need to be voted on, or else the universe might go kablooey. And at the same time, the council is already like in an inauspicious state, because one of the kings of fairy, one of its rulers, the king of spring, has just been murdered by somebody among the council. And one half of the game is trying to figure out who the murderers and who the like unseely are in order to unmask them. And the title of king of spring will go to the person who in the social deduction in the discussion phase gets the most people to like rally behind them but the game can also end early if all of the seely are unmasked and stripped of their courtly titles or if in the social deduction way kind of like werewolf the number of seely is equal to the existing number of unseely so it's like half and half between like in the day you're discussing these issues of importance or silliness and at the night you're trying to suss out allegiances and take actions and such. That is a lovely segue into our next questions for you guys. And actually, Kyle, I'm going to ask you to tackle this one first, just so you can maybe explain a little bit more how some of that works, what you just mentioned, which is basically in... Most traditional play-by-email games like we've talked about on our podcast in the past, players have a number of actions each week. And how did your game handle that? And what were your thoughts about the mechanics for this? So Kyle, if you want to tell us a little bit about that first. Okay, so the way that actions worked is that I delineated between... Everybody gets a power. It's really annoying because this game is currently ongoing and uh, Stu is one of the players, so I'm trying really hard not to spoil it for him. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I'm just, like, very conscious of what I can and can't say. There are powers which everybody gets one power. He's allowed to know that. That's okay. Everybody has one power which can be used. Okay, I'll have to 
spoil slightly, but they can be used during the day, night, or or either of those phases. So the game is split into three phases during the day when there's discussion during the night, when you can only speak in private messages slash emails, hence the play by email, mega game, you know, and the resolution phase, which is when we write up the actions and like decide anything niggling, any issues, not capital I issues, but resolve any small I issues before heading into the next day. So everybody has one of these powers and they can use them depending on the specific limitations of the power, which I can't comment on more. And But as well, they are allowed to pr- discuss freely during day phase, not only about like what solutions they want to the issues, of which each player can propose only one and can only vote once unless things happen, or they can also propose and discuss who to strip of their title, which in the classic sense would be like killing off mafia or innocent people during a day, during day vote. The key difference here is that because it would suck if you were eliminated early from a game like this, you do no longer retain your title if you're stripped of it, but you're actually conferred a new one. But we keep track in the back end of things for numerical purposes, like if X number of people lose their first title and the Seelie are tied with Unseelie, the game ends. But you can still play. You just gain a new title and a new power with it. So in some ways, you can actually be strategic about dying, in theory. In practice, I don't know how well that's working. We'll see. I just want to say, it's really easy to be Kyle if you're like, oh, I mean, Play by ones are too complicated. So I'm going to make one that is simultaneously a hidden role game and a cancel game. That'd be less complicated. <laughs> hey, it's only one action to resolve. It's good. already easier. Only complicated in theory, less so in practice for control. Steph is on the control team, can confirm. Yes, can confirm it is definitely a lighter burden for control. And that's nice. All right. So, John, do you want to tell us also about how Cataclysm and the Ballad of Skit Longshot handled actions every week and mechanics? Sure. So, for Cataclysm, like I said earlier, it was uh, inspired by Winterhorn. So, it had a, a list of actions that they could do. So, for instance, they could choose to evacuate some cities, or they could choose to put some magic wards on some cities, or they could do some research options that they had available to them they could they could uh, preserve part of their culture they could like choose part of their culture that they wanted to you know preserve for posterity because this was a cataclysm this was the end of their society so they were and then each player would have five voting tokens that they could basically put on top of these actions and then some of the actions had sub sub options like like if you're protecting cities, which cities? So you could choose two. And then at the end of the week, we find the five of them that have the highest number of votes. And then that's the thing that happens. And then they'd get a report written up by me as to the outcome of the game. There was two other little wrinkles. Uh, everyone had a veto. So if you put your veto token on something, then it couldn't be picked. Did that happen often? So one of the games, it happened precisely once. And it was quite a big deal and someone and it caused a bit of a sort of a diplomatic hoo-ha during the week and then it was removed for the other game we had one of the players used it as a quite a very hard negotiation tactic basically i see so i don't know if anything actually ever ended up vetoed at the end of a week but it was certainly used to 
push people around. Yeah, it's a little bit different from a veto. So say it's not watch the skies, the UN's veto powers, which is just you can veto everything all the time. It doesn't matter. If you had one veto token, it can only be one place at once. So it can only be in one place at the end of the week. So you can't, if they come up with another plan that they're happy with, you know, you can't spoil two plans unless you get someone else on board with your vetoing power. So it was a, it was a slightly limited veto. And Matt, there's a question. Did players have the ability to make their own plans or was it just picking from like a laundry list of options? So there was one, the only freeform part of the game was they each got given a, a sort of a dilemma to come up with a solution to Ooh, uh, each week. Nice. So each each team. So, so you know, here here is the issue of the day and then people could make proposals and then you can again use tokens and vote on the proposal that you want to go forward or veto it or you know what have you the same way that the rest of the game worked were you the only control for this i was the only control and there were 16 players so it wow. was quite quite Ambitious deliberately of you. Uh, yeah, yeah well, it was very deliberately written so part of the idea was that it wasn't supposed to take over your life quite as much as a normal play by email does because you've got these constrained options you can't just do everything and there's and there's only you've got the two councils so there's only so many people to talk to and yeah again i was running it so I would spend an afternoon on a weekend writing up a couple of reports, which would be like, you know, two or three pages each to send out to the players. And I'd have to coordinate, obviously, like what happened in the past and then what got dug up in the future to make sure that two things made sense. But that was, yeah, that was the, how the actions worked for that. In hindsight, perhaps a little bit too constrained, but, you know, not, not, a, not a bad system. And that was for cataclysm, yeah? And that was for cataclysm. And did you have um, like actions or a similar mechanic in the Ballad of Skit Longshot? No. So there was each week there was a, you basically just had a writing assignment. So it would be, you know, week one, write the introduction to your, to the first story. Week two, write the second part of the person whose story you've been given and that sort of thing. So there was a mm -hmm. sort of, there was a schedule, I suppose, more than an action list. And people weren't emailing each other as much. So yeah, we were just submitting stories each week. Mm -hmm. So I mean, people were people were interacting in that they would see the other stories that were written and sometimes take digs, digs at each other and things like that because obviously mm. some authors didn't like each other. Like if you've, <laughs> if, you've, if someone's been saying rude things about Skit Longshot, you can then take your one and go, ah, well, as we know, you know, the people of that era were writing complete nonsense and had no idea what they were talking about. What actually happened is this because I've got this other source, you see. That's great. I love that. So we're we're players then, and I'm sorry if you said this already and I missed it, but players were kind of different time periods there that they wrote the yes, stories for? There, there were a couple of players who were in the same time period, but from different sort of perspectives. They okay. had a little bit more knowledge of sort of each other and what was going on. Mm -hmm. So yes, while it was a game, it might not have been much of a play by email because we didn't really use play by email uh, emails that very much. Oh, we'll have to disinvite you, I'm afraid. Sorry. Yeah, it's terrible. Although it's possible that Candy is going to start supporting sending messages inside it hopefully for uh, season two so that might not use emails either yeah that's true <laughs> we can change so. them they can be play by candy games <laughs> <laughs> yes. so the next question i've got here is and this is quite a difficult one are there, are there any things that you think are essential for any form of play by email design which i guess now doesn't even include email but apart from that <laughs> i would say that there probably isn't i mean beyond accessibility concerns for your players i wouldn't so i don't think i think that 
calling something a play by email game or calling something a mega game or something else is largely a semantics. It's a sort of marketing exercise. Yeah, it's, it's useful for marketing because you need to market it to a group of people. But the actual game that you're writing underneath, like it's it's why people can't tell the difference between a mega game and a LARP because there probably there might not be one. You know, what's the difference between a writing exercise and skip long shot? Or you get say single player journaling RPGs. Well, that's you know, it's an RPG, but it's also like a writing exercise, and that's kind of what Skit Longshot was as well. And every, everything is so blurry that I mean, I say this because I like writing all the different types of games, but I don't think there's anything you need to consider other than what your audience is expecting. I both like that perspective and also hate that it's like, eh, it's just for marketing. <laughs> yeah, it might not be very useful. Yeah. Piece of advice, but <laughs> it makes you know, sense. I, yeah, played lots of different types of games and you'll find lots of different interesting mechanics and ways of doing things. And, you know, I don't think you need to use one in any particular format or other. Kyle, do you share that perspective as well? I guess for me, like when I'm thinking about PBEM design and like what's important, for the most part, the contrast between like designing this and designing a big game made it difficult for me to think of there being any essentials besides like make sure the players have fun that's always been my guiding philosophy try and make something where people will have fun that's it despite the forms and despite the variations like as somebody who lives in a different time zone from almost anyone else who plays i'm aware that you need to have this like openness to different i just to make sure that everyone can get involved but that also feeds back into that philosophy of everyone should be having fun some way, somehow. And different people have different types of fun, which I guess is a very vague philosophy, but it's like worked out for me so far. People should be able to have fun and people should be able to feel feels. That's that's all that's important when it comes to a game like these. I think that's a lovely, lovely sentiment. For my part, and I try to think of the answers, and I'm kind of building off your point there, Kyle, the only one I can think of that I think is genuinely essential for any sort of play-by-email or perhaps better phrasing, play-over-weeks-rather-than-hours game is that it doesn't disadvantage people from one time zone compared to others. Because uh, one of the great things about this scene, uh, Omega in general, but particularly these games, is that they've really built an international audience. So we play lots of our online games with people from the US, the UK, other parts of Europe, and of course, yourself, Carl, down in Southeast Asia. And it can be difficult when you're doing the one day mega games for some people to make all those times, like for some people it's early, for some people it's late. But the joy of a play by email game is it's played over a week. So if everyone else is asleep, you can still email them and the emails from them will be waiting when you wake up. So from my perspective, as long as there are no rules that mean being awake or asleep at this time will matter, that's fine. Yeah, the asynchronicity of it all. And I think a little bit related to that, just making sure that you're not giving an advantage to the players who are able to devote more time to the game versus those who may not have as much time, just because it would be immensely frustrating to feel like, well, I'm losing because I have a job, right? Like that's not a fun situation. I think to an extent, it's quite hard to do that. At least, I mean, with with the more open play by email games, there's so many players and so many people that you can talk to and talking to people is power, essentially. It's, you know, building these connections and that sort of thing. If nothing else though, I think, 
trying to make it so that you can have fun, um, even if you're only playing for an hour a week, might be a possibly more achievable goal because you can't talk to everybody. Maybe you, you, if you can only play an hour a week, you're not going to be winning that election at the end of the game. But maybe you can have some fun in another corner, maybe you know, sending some emails to a couple of other players and having your own little corner to, to play in. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really interesting, John, because I think you're right. There's definitely some advantages that you get from being around more. And I, I don't think that's something that we can necessarily prevent, as you say. But I'm thinking of things like mechanically, you know, saying everyone gets a certain number of actions or, you know, you've got this day phase, night phase action, or you have your, you know, creative writing bit you have to get by this time, right? It's not like, oh, well, the more you post, the more actions you get or something like that. So you can design the mechanics at least a little bit to lend itself to that. Or in seasons, you know, one thing that we've done there is put a slowdown on the discussion on Discord for the voting so that it's not just like, People who are constantly typing have more to say, things like that. Yeah. So if you but if you give someone, so because I guess this is a difference between say uh, uh, season one and cataclysm. If you give people more actions, there's more advantage to talking to more people because you can get more different things done. So in cataclysm, you had a very limited action palette, so there wasn't much advantage to being online an awful lot because there's only so much stuff to talk about. That makes sense. Whereas if you, while everybody might get, say, free actions or whatever in the same game, the person that can find better uses for them by being online more and whatnot will be able to, you know, use them more effectively. I think in our season one, I remember one week someone had been quite busy because of real life reasons. And in character, they came to me and were like, I've been really busy. What's going on? You know everything. (laughs) Yeah, you can be too busy to really know how to spend all your actions if you've got too many of them. Okay. Do either of you have any more ideas for alternative uh, games in the future that you're willing to talk about at this time? Sure, yeah. I've got something that I might run before uh, Season 2. This is not an announcement. This is a a bit of speculation. So I was thinking I might run a one-turn play-by-email game. The idea being, I haven't come up with all the specifics of it yet, so we'll pretend we've got a, a bank robbery going on and there's police outside and they're going to storm the building and you've got two teams, you've each got one turn, so the people on the outside have got to decide amongst themselves what their actions are going to be and that sort of thing. The people on the inside have got to decide what their actions are going to be. Maybe there's some communication between the two groups or whatever, you know. But the idea is you've got a week to find out what's going on, to make decisions and then some dramatic thing is going to happen at the end of the week and your actions are going to be related to that. So I thought that was quite a fun idea, but I may try sooner rather than later. And is that going to be related to our season two? So my idea was that uh, it's a setting that's it's had a big game, it's had these two little games, it's had some other role-playing games going on in it now, some couple of microscope sessions to flesh out more of the world building. It's a big old world. So my thought was I could make this game, invite n- new players who want to play in Season 2 but haven't played an Ur game before to play this one-week sort of taster session which should get them into the world and see what's see what it's all about so they can hit the ground running when uh, Season 2 comes around. Sort of a tutorial or an onboarding sort of session. Yes, basically that. And the events will also, whatever the events end up being, they will also be one of the inciting incidents for season two. I've already got, I've already been building up 
backstory from other games that I've run, from like Cataclysm and Longshot and that sort of thing. I've got a lot of stuff to to do to put into season two, but this will be another thing. It will mean that all these new players are really invested in this bit of plot, so they can all the other all the players that are returning players. If they want to know what's going on, they've got to talk to a new player. You know, that's quite can, nice. Uh, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, it'll be a nice way because I I can't see a way of making season two particularly new player friendly, just on its own. There's definitely a risk because obviously those who've played them setting before and then have a bit more knowledge about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a really nice solution, John. I agree. Yeah, that's very clever. Thank you. Kyle, did you have any in the pipeline that you were thinking of? I have always have like a bajillion ideas stewing around at any one time. So great. I I can't really commit to anything, but I've, I've been thinking on a lot of things and what I plan next might be more likely as a one-day mega game as opposed to a play by email. As I keep paring things down further and further in my uh, <laughs> uh, in my workload. No, but I've been thinking on a lot of things. Like previously, I was contemplating how you could do a play by email SCP style game, something in a vein to like a lobotomy corporation or SCP, where you're like members of an organization trying to capture question and like make use of various supernatural phenomena but that's a little closer to being mechanic heavy rather than what we have in the traditional pbem which is a little closer to like lore and story and discussion heavy so it's going to be an interesting experiment to see how to balance that out and it might be better as a one-day mega game i'm not sure but i do want to do something with that kind of like super secret organization MIB SCP type of feel. I don't know what form it will take exactly, but I know I want to do something in that vein. Nice. That sounds very cool. So last thing, what kind of advice would you two offer someone who wanted to run an alternate form play by email game? I guess like my first piece of advice and probably my most important is just have a strong idea of structure and gameplay as it intertwines with story. It's the same with a long-form mega game, but you have to be more considerate just because if the format is new, people are going to need time to adjust to it. Like what I found with Seasons is that it, it is a little bit of adjustment for people who are used to the traditional PBEM where they have a little bit more flexibility in actions versus the kind of limited scope of their powers. So be gentle with your older players who have to like kind of shift gears and mindsets people love change after all oh yeah for sure mm -hmm. john did you have anything to add yeah i could probably offer a couple of bits of conflicting advice oh good um, <laughs> with, each, with each other yeah so on the one hand you probably shouldn't uh over constrain yourself like there's nothing in a play as i was saying suggesting earlier i don't think there's anything in a play by email game that needs to be in a play by email game up to and including emails so Yes, I think you can play lots of other different types of games, uh, try and find especially like smaller sort of indie type of games, things that might have fallen through the cracks or aren't, a bit, aren't so mainstream to get sort of ideas for your game, I think is it's a good way of doing things. You might find after when you're writing your game in this way, because you're, you're deliberately trying to make an alternative type of play by email game. So if you're doing that, you may find out, like Kyle said, earlier that actually your play by mail game becomes a one-day game or it becomes a role-playing game or it becomes something else 
Personally, I wouldn't worry. I'd just write that game instead. But the other bit of advice that I would give if you're writing a alternative play by email game, given that you're specifically going in, into it to write something alternative, is not to change things necessarily just for the sake of changing things. There are things that are like they are for a reason, and you can have good reasons to change them. But if you haven't got a good reason to change it, maybe just rely on that as a as a thing that already works and change something else instead. Awesome. Well, any any last things from either of you before we wrap up? I am excited for people to experience new types of games, and I really want to see people design new types of games. I, I, I'll be honest, I think maybe one of the things that might have like possibly scared people a little away from design is that you play these games and you're like, wow, I have to make this like huge game with so many elements. And you don't have to. What John and I are doing now shows you don't have to necessarily make games that are massive in scope. You can if you want to. And that's super fun. I, I do enjoy doing it. But there's a lot of space for a lot of different types of games and themes and players and designers. So I want to see what you come up with. I think yeah, if you wanted to do... If, if you're intimidated by the amount of work that goes into design in one of these big, yeah, one of the big games, I think you could run a game tomorrow if you said, we're going to set it in the real world, you're playing yourself, and you're on a ferry and it's sinking. Go. You know, it doesn't, that's, that's a game you could last for a few weeks, you know, and people would have fun. And I've kind of made it up on the spot just there. You might want to put more effort into it than that, but uh, you don't have to do everything i think the 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 moral of today's lesson is just have fun right play games make games that are enjoyable regardless of whether or not they last eight weeks or one week or are this traditional format or something completely new and writing the games should be fun yeah specifically as well as as well as playing them If if you're trying to write a game and you're just having this slog and you know it's not coming together and it's just miserable maybe just don't write that game put it on the back burner maybe you come back to it maybe you write something else well thank you both for joining us today really appreciate your input and expertise in this area and thanks everyone for listening that was your control panel i love michael hopefully we can fix that in editing <laughs>